Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. This episode contains language and content of an explicit nature. Listener discretion is advised. Before a song is released, a record is produced, or a chorus is written, the musicians that write them think a lot. They live a lot, and they feel a lot. Before the chorus dives into the stories and experiences that shape these artists, and ultimately, the music we hear. I'm your host, Sophia Lopercaro, and this episode's guest is Nation of Language. Nation of Language are a trio from Brooklyn, New York. Despite close comparisons to OMD, New Order, and Kraftwerk, the band have managed to carve out an original sound. Their use of synthesizers is emotive and visceral, easily morphing from song to song. Their new record, A Way Forward, spans the cold sounds of a concrete jungle to the euphoria of new love. I have people in my living room, which is really nice because normally this is done over Zoom and it's it's very good to be around human beings again. Also, again, this is like my first in-person interview since before COVID, which just is... It's been a long time. Lovely. Yeah. yeah. We've also been having our first in-person interviews since before COVID. And it's like, oh, we can make eye contact in a new way. Yeah. And Beautiful. It's very different and fun. Yeah, it's not kind of diverted through looking at a camera, looking at a person in this right. kind of weird. But actually, just looking at myself. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, we all do it. Yeah. I think it's it's distracting. You know, you just want to like be like, do I look okay still? Yeah. Do I look like a moron right now? I look really weird though, actually. Still yes. Still mm-hmm. yes. Yeah, that's usually how it works. <laughs> well, getting into the the more well the whole reason that we're here which is obviously talking about the record a way forward now um i don't know if the record was i guess intentionally named for this but i feel like across all of the songs on the record there's a certain like level of uncertainty of what's next and there's a sense of I don't know, not knowing what exactly is going to come next, not knowing how you're going to move on or take the next steps with something, um, which I guess sort of plays into the name A Way Forward. Was that an intentional thing or just sort of like a name that sort of just fit? Well, I guess now that you mention it, I I hadn't thought about how that is a fairly common theme that runs through a lot of the songs. A lot of the... And well, the the name is pulled from a lyric of one of the songs, mm-hmm. but uh, in in a lot of ways, it was more about kind of sonically how we were trying to not make a record that was inspired by the exact same things as the first record, and how this was just you know one of the ways that we could go, and you know we want to sort of nudge a little more room in terms of what we think Nation of Language can sound like with each record. And so this is kind of uh, just one step in that process. Interesting. Which song is the lyric from? Uh, It's from a song called Former Self. 
Yeah, I was gonna say I knew it was one of the ones in like the latter half of the record. But yeah. I was trying to remember which one it was. It's track track seven, maybe. Okay. Yeah, I. Yeah, I forget the exact exact order, but you would obviously know this better than I would because mm-hmm. you, you know, would hope. But. You would hope. <laughs> you know, since you sort of wrote the album. Um, but yeah, but I guess going into these sort of, I guess, weird, unstable environments again, whether that is even if that's not exactly what the name was for, it's a kind of happy coincidence, but. The opening track on the record in Manhattan, for me, it makes me think a lot about how I think we glamorize the idea of living in a really big city. We glamorize what it means to be a creative and think like, oh, it's going to be this big, exciting, fascinating life. And then you move to these places or you start kind of, you know, approaching this career and it kicks you in the ass a little bit. Um, I feel like in Manhattan really dealt with that sort of disillusionment and sort of that pulling of the curtain. Is that fair or? Yeah, for sure. It's, um, you know, it is about sort of romanticizing New York from all of the movies and TV shows that take place there. And then you get there and, you know, in the end you end up creating your own sort of romantic version of it. But I found that it looks very little like uh you know the movies and tv shows that you watch growing up and make you want to to be there and like you know live the the new york life but it ends up being just much different than that um like working at a restaurant and getting home and being exhausted and not wanting to write music but instead sit on the couch and watch a sitcom and go to sleep and do it again the next day yeah, it's like it ends up taking so much out of you that you really have to kind of make yourself have the energy to to keep going and keep chasing what you're chasing um, because just the natural pace of life is so kind of tiring. Yep. Yeah, I lived in London for three and a half years, so I'm very, very familiar with that yeah. feeling. Yeah, it is. I mean, there's cities that take a lot out of you. And even, I think, I forget what the line was on this song, but it's like you're almost supposed to romanticize like the struggles and like the toxic sides of it. Mm -hmm. But again, you don't really understand what that means, like you said, until you get there. It's just like, oh yeah, I'm going to live like kind of creative artist life and I'm going to rough it and it's going to be magical in its own weird way. It's like, yeah, but also (laughs) it's like, again, you have to learn how to appreciate it yeah with the, with the shitty parts that come with it mm-hmm. yeah. you know and then yeah and that takes time it, yeah it it's really often does. in hindsight only that you can get to that level of appreciation mm-hmm. yeah and was this i mean you know not to bring up the pandemic for the eight billionth time because i'm sure you're <laughs> gonna hear about it in every interview that you do but do you feel like some of those feelings and questions around being in New York came up more during the pandemic? Because I know that there was a huge exodus for at least the beginning of of COVID. And like New York probably felt a little bit weird, at least for a while. Yeah, definitely. It's like the most romantic aspects of it can be when you're like out with your friends and then you see these other people that you like know that are in the scene and you're like feeling like a mover and a shaker and you're like, wow, you get home at the end of the night and you just decompress about all the fun you had and like how excited you are to live there. But over the pandemic, it was like, I'm stuck inside my apartment and I have to like cook like food for myself, which isn't nearly as good as the restaurant's food. And I am working 
like and have no way to decompress and it was just like a lot less uh a lot less romantic now that things are getting back to a more normal pace um i feel like i feel a lot healthier in my like mental state because for like over the pandemic i feel like i sort of needed i realized how much i need the like constant go 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 mm -hmm. of like pursuing the artist's life in a big city to like distract myself from too much existential crises <clears throat> but at the same time now i feel like i romanticize the sort of you know spending 24 hours a day within like our small neighborhood within this like you know five to ten block radius walking around and there was a an apartment a few blocks away from us this townhouse with a really nice sort of front step situation and uh the whole pandemic it was unoccupied and so we made it our front stoop basically and just every day we'd get up and bring get, all make some books. coffee and yeah bring books and just sit on the front step of this apartment as though it was our own <laughs> and uh Eventually, someone did move in while we weren't paying attention. Uh-oh. And that was a little awkward when a delivery came and they came to the door and we were sitting there with, like, our breakfast <laughs> and just sort of scampered away. Yes, humiliating. But, but yeah, so and it is another one of those things where now now I'm like, you know. Yeah, those were some good days. Yeah, yeah. Not, not the initial days. Right. The initial days of confusion are still not romanticized. Yeah, very scary. <laughs> Right, so moving on to the next song, which is Across That Fine Line. Definitely a little bit of an outsider on the record because a lot of the other ones, it's not necessarily that every song on the record is heavy, but this one's much more euphoric in mm -hmm. what it's, you know, what it's talking about. Once again, comes to the idea of not sure what to do next. I mean, mm -hmm. again, when I was reading the press release for it, this, that was very clearly stated. It's like, cool, this thing has happened and now what, you know? Yeah. But I really love how this, this song has this sort of sense of euphoria. I mean, I guess for anyone who hasn't listened to the record yet, it's basically about that moment when a relationship with someone switches from platonic to not platonic and no words need to be said. It just sort of happens. Mm -hmm. um, and all of a sudden there's this just big jump in the chorus that makes you feel that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, um, do you want to speak on that one a little more, I guess? Yeah, I mean, I definitely just wanted, I wanted to incorporate a bit of sort of celebration and euphoria into the record. Um, I like as a way of, you know, I think a lot of the first record lives in a gloomier place. Um, and so to have a bit of just kind of joy, where especially in the live show, it's just this opportunity for everyone to jump around and have fun um and uh yeah it was just like it's a very like guitar-y song which is a change for us as well in a lot of ways um but yeah it just it just seemed like a fun thing to explore and sort of be a way to after the kind of heaviness of the first song of the record to kind of pick it up and serve as almost a second introduction to the rest of the album Mm -hmm. kind of saying it doesn't have to all be cold and calculated it can yeah. also be very human and very euphoric and yeah and again speaking of that chorus i just i was thinking on it because 
initially when I read these words, I almost thought it was about like a relationship falling apart. Like something, mm. obviously there's some sort of like cataclysm in the song. But um, when I went back and I read what it was actually about and then started thinking about again how it sounds and stuff, I very much started thinking of like, like when that kind of moment happens, you almost get that like hot feeling in your head. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's like there is such a like warmth and that sudden like emotional burst in mm-hmm. the chorus that feels very like on par with what that feels like. Yeah, there was a moment when writing it because, you know, the first thing I had was basically that that line of the title um and there was a moment where i was trying to figure out you know is this a song that is going to be about something dark or is it going to be a song that's about something celebratory and yeah just once having the way that chorus kicks in i was like all right let, let's go celebratory like let's change it up a little bit and kind of let this be what the music is wanting it to be Mm -hmm. yeah i mean now that being said i mean obviously again you have this really euphoric song that's about the beginning of relationship but then we move on to wounds of love which is Mm -hmm. the other end of it basically the not so fun end of the tunnel where the relationship ends and what i think i mean just again from reading about it obviously reading the lyrics what this one made me think of was you know, no matter how much you rationalize, like, you know, this is the right decision to end a relationship, you know, I've made my peace with it. It still hurts, you know, and mm-hmm. so it's it's still hard to kind of grapple with it. And it felt like that song was sort of trying to deal with that pull of like, why am I still feeling so upset and broken over this, even though I know it was the right decision? Yeah. And yeah, there, there's that feeling of, of why am I still feeling like this? And as the song goes on, it's a bit of, you know, acceptance of like, okay, yeah, like I know, like I'm not supposed to, you know, when we're, when everyone's at the party or everyone's at the bar, like I'm not supposed to like latch on to you anymore. And, you know, I know how things are supposed to be and like, maybe I'll just leave. Um, and kind of, yeah, accepting the realities of the situation and that it's still going to hurt, but you just have to keep going yeah absolutely i mean as as far as that i don't really know what else to add that's pretty (laughs) um actually i guess a little kind of side thing about this song but on the vocal performance end of it or actually even just the whole song itself feels very like talking headsy and i know that's not you know like i know this is a very like i think krautrock influenced record but there was always these little hints of like other little things here and there, like even the vocal performance on Across That Fine Line even made me think a little bit of Tears for Fears for some reason. Oh, cool. Yeah, so it was kind of fun to, whether it's intentional or not, I love finding those little like little bits that maybe are less obvious or again, meant or not meant to be there. You mean, I think for, especially for a band like Talking Heads, it's, they're kind of so ingrained in my mind and that I think um, another band that's like that would be like The National. Um, yes. Where I, you know, I just love the music so much that it ends up just baking itself into certain aspects of songwriting, whether or not I intend it to be there. Uh, there's just like a bit of that going on because that's the music that means so much to me. Um, mm-hmm. That, you know. 
It's part of your instincts. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really glad you mentioned the national because when I first heard you guys, my thought was this is like New Order and the National sort of clash <laughs> together. It was like, yeah. like the again, sometimes your vocal goes into that more like Tears for Fears or like '80s timber, but sometimes it reminds me a lot of Matt Berninger and that sort mm-hmm. of like low kind of rumble. And I mean, I'm yeah. a huge fan of the National. Um, actually, another thing that I was going to mention that is very related to the National, so. My personal favorite, the national record, is not the one that anyone else usually picks. But for me, it's Sleep Well Beast. Oh, okay. Um, and the reason I like it, and it's relevant here, is that I felt like they understood how to use electronica to enhance emotion rather than it being very cold and calculated. Yeah. And I think that on this record, you guys did that really well as well. Like You knew where it needed to enhance these really big moments and add a lot of warmth and... Kind of add an expansiveness that sometimes organic instruments can't really hit. Mm-hmm. And you also knew how to make it really cold and calculated on certain songs. So Yeah, there's there's definitely that pull in in both directions. I remember reading um it was some compilation of interviews of electronic musicians that was some book that was in a studio where we were working. And one part of the book was an interview with Kraftwerk and they were talking about how they want to pull all the humanity out like intentionally and make things as sort of cold and emotionless as possible. And then a couple of pages later, you have an interview with Brian Eno and he's talking about how, you know, he loves synthesizers that are broken because they kind of bring a humanity to this thing that is so computer-like and he's trying to go the exact opposite way and loving both of these groups of musicians so much uh there's definitely that push and pull within the songs of like is this a cold craftwork vibe or is this a very sort of human and warm uh brian eno sort of situation well, speaking of the sort of, I guess, colder side of things, um, I definitely noticed at least of the t- two out of the four songs that seem to talk more directly about like New York City, mm-hmm. they tend to ha- lean more that cold and calculated vibe. Like there's sort of that almost inhumane aspect. So one mm-hmm. of them is in Manhattan and the other one, which you'll see I'm doing a little order flip here, but jumping to The Great Commute, which also has like mm-hmm. moments of that sort of coldness. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, I'm guessing those two songs are very thematically linked, but tell me if I am wrong. Yeah, I mean, The Great Commute is, I guess it's one of the more sort of social or political songs that we've written, but it was uh, first inspired by just when the Republican tax plan was being passed Uh. and just looking at how much lighter the tax burden would become on the wealthiest people while for, you know, while we're all commuting to work every day and the people that we're working with, it's like not changing in any meaningful way um, is, was just kind of so frustrating that that's kind of where that song was born out of. That and just general commentary on the, just overconsumption, sort of the culture of overconsumption that 
it feels like we live in sometimes. And um, yeah, so there is definitely a colder sort of more frustrated base within that song. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, both again seem to touch on a sort of lack of humanity um, Mm -hmm. where it is normally needed. Whereas again, the songs on this record that have much more of a warmth tend to be much more zoomed in on individual experience. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I love that. Um, Kind of like I said, since we basically skipped Miranda for a moment, I'm now bringing it back around because I feel like Miranda, this fractured mind and former self, all seem to kind of circulate in the same zone. Like, I definitely feel like I pick up a little bit on like mental health or anxiety or things like that. Um, But also some kind of either falling out or feeling like, either being too much or falling short there's definitely sort of a more like inner conflict that i feel like is touched on on those three songs yeah definitely um miranda's is definitely a bit of sort of um acknowledging the i guess for lack of a better term sort of like slacker dirt bag within (laughs) me um you know uh, when it was written, I was thinking very much of just like my days sort of like bumming around New Jersey, delivering pizzas and like working a few jobs and uh, sort of be- just like being out of bars. And so, I mean, I was working on music during that time, but it sort of felt like I was doing nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's the sort of for that and for Fractured Mind, there's a bit of that. uh like that mental space being occupied when I was writing them. Mm-hmm. Um, but Miranda, I kind of wanted to, it was inspired in a lot of ways by the sort of American road trip songs, like mm. um, like America by Simon and Garfunkel or, um, <laughs> is it Diane? No, not Diane Young. Um, uh, Hannah. Hannah Hunt by Vampire Weekend. Oh, such a good song. These sort of things where it just feels like you're sort of catching someone in the middle of a long journey. And so it's sort of my like dirtbag version of, of those songs. Love it. And ironically, this is not the first time that America by Simon and Garfunkel have been brought up on this podcast. Nor should it be. <laughs> yeah. And I was listening back to the exact episode that it was mentioned on earlier today. So it's just thinking about some old conversations with mm. uh, a lovely band called flight that I'm, friends with over in the UK. Oh, they cool. have a song called Mistress America that's very, very inspired by Simon and Garfunkel. Also, I'm glad you brought up Hannah Hunt as well. I haven't listened to it in a while and I'm definitely gonna go back and listen to it today because I definitely love the like relationship disintegrating on a road trip yeah. sort of feeling so good. of that song. But yeah, now that, I mean, going back to what you're saying about, um, I guess kind of like, a slacker youth looking forward on on Miranda and this fractured mind. I think there was a, uh, I'm trying to remember what the lyric was on this fractured mind, but it was basically the idea of like wanting to be able to like dream up a better future for yourself or something. Yeah. So is that like in that sort of zone, like kind of either longing for something better or like where was your head on in that one? Yeah, I mean, it's it's essentially a question of recognizing that you're in a sort of loop and wondering whether you can self-actualize your way out of it, uh, you know, just like through positive visualization and because, you know, you feel like you're just 
kind of doing the same things all the time and never actually taking a step in the right direction. Um, and so, yeah, that, that question is, um, trying to think of what the actual lyric is. Um, I think I have it. Somewhere. Oh, it's, uh, it's do, you, do you think that I could simulate my life, but done a better way? Thank you. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it, it, there's also like a fake it till you make it sense in that. And it's about simulating a better version of your life until mm-hmm. you can actually make it a reality. Um, which is a thing that I think about all the time. <laughs> I'm sure we all do to some degree. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very human thing to do, and it's a constant war with yourself to not do it. Yeah. Um, which actually, that definitely leads me into what I was thinking about with former self, because the lyric is basically like my former self thought that I could like ask for more. Like, mm-hmm. So in a way, it feels connected to those previous two songs we talked about. But again, feels like maybe in the present, there's still a longing for more than what's currently there. Yeah, for sure. There, that is, there is a, a bit of that sort of whiplash between between those two songs. Of one is imagining a better future, and then one is sort of in that future, being you know reflecting on I imagined so much for myself, and am I actually even doing it now, mm-hmm. or? You know, am I am I living up to what my past self thought I was capable of? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, there's there's a a link between those emotionally for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ironically, you probably are, but much like we kind of said on in Manhattan, when you're in the midst of whatever reality is, it never looks as glossy as what you picture. Yeah. You know, when you're a kid, you're like, oh, this is going to be amazing, and then mm-hmm. you're here, it's like, yeah, it's amazing, and also, you know. I'm tired. (laughs) It's like, why is this thing that I love so exhausting all the time? Yeah. Like, because it's work, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, it's definitely, you know, giving yourself so completely to something uh, definitely wears you out in in ways that you're not expecting. You know, being on tour is a great example. Like, we love going on tour, but there is, like, this sort of relentless nature to it where... Uh, we were with one of our friends earlier and she was like, it's like, it's always the weekend for you. And I was like, but it's also like, it's always a weekday for us because, you know, there's always something that has to be addressed and, you know, some flyer that needs to be edited and there's an interview or there's a photo shoot (laughs) or there's the show, um, or there's like a 10 hour drive. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's both. Yeah. It's both very exhausting and so rewarding. It's like, just a a strange thing to actually get here especially after waiting for so many years through the pandemic and everything i was thinking on ian's laptop for when he's like sitting down doing those annoying tasks of like responding to emails or putting receipts in or doing photoshop documents he has a little note that's permanently up on the screen that said this is the work of an artist yeah (laughs) so just to remind myself Well, we're getting to the last three songs on the record. Um, Whatever You Want is one of the ones that stumped me. There's always, I think whenever I'm doing these sort of like read-throughs of records, there's usually everybody's got like one song that I can never quite figure out the exact meaning. Mm -hmm. Because you guys are very good at sort of weaving in and out of very literal and very metaphorical things. So Mm -hmm. yeah, this one tripped me up and I would definitely love a little more insight into it. Yeah, so Whatever You Want is 
it's for me it occupies another sort of celebratory space kind of like across that fine line um where but in in this situation it's sort of about uh like the joy of pining for someone even when they don't reciprocate it and just like the celebration of that feeling of being alive in that moment even if there's also this sort of sorrow that you know it's one-sided um and so because you know like it is it is nice to feel strongly even when it is something negative uh and so the song is kind of trying to balance that um positive and negative overwhelming emotion sort of thing Mm -hmm. i guess there's i mean that definitely weaves into a lot of what we've been talking about today finding the coexistence of like the joy and the pain and just like you said like the privilege of being able to feel even when it hurts i remember once telling a a friend of mine that i i liked him and it wasn't reciprocated but i found myself driving home feeling this like weird sense of both euphoria and mourning at the same Mm -hmm. time like i did it I did the thing. I was emotionally vulnerable. Yeah. My therapist would be so proud of me. You know? yeah. But yeah, it's it's so true. You really have to learn how to embrace it. And it can be such a, a good thing when you do. Mm-hmm. Just being okay with feeling everything in full color. Yeah. Um, again, speaking of that idea of you know joy and pain or like humanity within something less human, just those kind of contrasts. There's a moment in A Word in a Wave that I really love. In fact, I wrote down the lyric. It was, fall asleep romanticizing heartache in the city center, watering your pothos, it wrote pathos, (laughs) (laughs) while you hum, aching for something you could save. And just this idea of someone just tending to like a little piece of life amidst a big, gray, scary city Mm -hmm. was just like a really powerful image to me. It's like that little bit of just wanting to cling on to something very natural and very alive amidst just the gray concrete of a big and scary place for sure and yeah with with that song the the sort of a lot of the tension within that song is with with the title a word in a wave it's kind of when i was writing it i was thinking about these small social interactions that happen where whether like how you can make someone feel so good with like an a just some small acknowledgement or not giving that to someone can hurt them so bad uh and there's sort of a line you walk you know like when you're like oh i saw that guy at a bar and like i think we pretty sure we've met before but he just like walked right by me um and how yeah there can be this confusion and so the song is kind of coming from a place of someone who wants to be the person that's always saying hello and being there for everybody else. And they just have this little plant and that's like, they just need to keep something alive and feeling good uh, and how that can sort of wear you down over time is trying to like be the day brightener for everyone else. yeah, yeah. Taking on a caretaker role in any capacity can be uh, it can be a lot. Speaking from personal experience, yeah. Um, but yeah, 
again, it's another one that I don't really feel like there's anything else that I can add that kind of completes the picture. <laughs> it's a very really short nicely. song. <laughs> I mean, short but very potent. Much like you said, it's sometimes the little things carry the most weight. So mm. there you go. It kind of all ties together. Form and function. There you go. Yeah. Exactly like this chair I'm sitting in that exactly. nobody on the podcast can see. It's the beauty of podcasts. Sometimes there's little visual cues. Like earlier when we were talking about the national and you pointed to my the national poster hanging over my dining table. So no one knows. Nobody will ever know. Well, now you do because you heard me say it. But anyway, um, we are now at the final song, which again, it's another one that seems to touch on the city. But at the same time... I'm not sure, but it almost feels like it could be like a good sort of recap of the record in a sense. Like it feels much more big picture or at least maybe not big picture, but more all encompassing than some of the other similar songs on the record. Yeah, there's definitely, it is a bit more zoomed out. It's kind of, a lot of it is, I think, um, sort of feeling lost within the modern world and within consumerist culture and feeling like you're always behind on whatever's happening and you're supposed to be buying the new thing and kind of staying up to date and the bank is calling because you've overspent and uh just sort of the the chaos of of modern life and the complexity of uh you know trying to stay afloat in a world in which which people keep getting more tax breaks and no one else gets one gets anything that feels like fair compensation in relation to that. Um, and so, yeah, I guess it is sort of a, uh, it touches on a lot of the themes of the yeah. other songs. Mm-hmm. So in that way, yeah. it's like a little bit of a gloomy way to end the record <laughs> <laughs> when, when we were making it, uh, we, I was talking with, um, the producer that worked on that song. Who is? Uh, Nick Milheiser from, he's one half of the band Holy Ghost. Um, and uh, so we worked with him for half the record and then also Abe Seaforth who made the whole first record. And so we kind of would sp- spend some time in one studio with one person, some time in the other. But um, when I was talking to Nick about how I wanted the end of that song to feel he he was talking about how it you know it should be a drive into the sunset thing, and I was like, oh, I was gonna say like a lay me down to die sort of thing, <laughs> but but the, but yo, your your thing is way better. Let's go let's go with that. <laughs> like si- similar feeling, but just not as grim of a take. <laughs> yeah. It's like surprise, we're actually making the Smiths record, we're making this as yeah. sad as Extremely we possibly can. Extremely dramatic. Yeah. <laughs> You know, actually, then again, Morrissey is very dramatic, but we won't get into that because I don't like him as a person, as I don't think anybody with a good mind does. No. So true. No, but again, like I said earlier about the title of this record, it very much by accident falls in line with it because it's, you know, trying to figure out a way to keep moving forward and keep coping in, in a big and scary world. So. Yeah, I'm definitely going to start telling people that that aspect of it was entirely on purpose. There you go. So. Thanks. The problem <laughs> is that this is going to be out as a reference point to yeah. call you on your bullshit. Um. <laughs> Bring it. A Way Forward is out now wherever you normally get your music. This podcast is hosted, produced, and edited by myself, Sophia Lepercaro, and the artwork is by Meg Welford.
our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live.